Welcome to episode 142 of We Don't Die Radio, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And before we start the show, I want to invite you to meet me at the Afterlife Research and Education Symposium, which is September 15th through 17th, 2017 in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's going to be a big conference where you can meet other like-minded people, people interested in life after death and having an easy transition to the other side once your time comes. I'll be there speaking on stage along with many of our guests and people like Roberta Grimes, Victor Zamet, and George Norrie from Coast to Coast AM. And you can find out more about the conference and register at afterlifestudies.org. And if you can plan on being there by the evening of the 14th, I'm going to be meeting everybody in the lobby for happy hour. And I'd love to meet you and say hello and thank you for listening. Now on to the show. What does genealogy and life after death have in common? Well, it's our cool guest today. Her name is Sharon DeBartolo Carmack, and she's been a certified genealogist for nearly 30 years and has written 22 books on a range of family history topics. She's also a spiritualist medium and the USA's National Representative for the Spiritualist National Union International. You've heard me talk about it before, SNUI, and we'll find out more from her. Her website is pathwaysup.com. Sharon Carmack, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you, Sandra. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy too. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, just to give a little frame of reference, where in the world are you speaking to us from today? I am in Salt Lake City, Utah. Very nice. And I'm at my mom's house in Newport, Rhode Island on the, oh, nice. on the East Coast. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. And before we start, I just want to thank you for all the work and time you spend with SNUI. Um, for those of you who don't know, there's a website, snui.org, right? Yes. Yeah. All of a sudden I thought, is it .com? No, snui.org. And maybe you could just spend a couple minutes talking about what it is, and then we can get on to who you are. Oh, I would be happy to. Um, The Spiritualist National Union International is the international branch of the Spiritualist National Union, which is based out of the UK. And they began the international branch, obviously, to include members from all over the world, because not all of us, including myself, have a spiritualist church or development circles in our area. So through SNUI, you're able to participate. They have daily classes, daily circles, daily um spiritualist services, and you're able to participate in all of those as a member, and membership is 21 pounds, which equals about uh, $24, depending on the exchange rate, 
And for that fee for a whole year, you have access to all these daily classes and circles and services. It's it's the best bargain in town. And it's such a, a blessing, like I said, for those of us who don't have a spiritualist church or a circle in our area. You participate online through a platform called Mega Meeting, which is like GoToMeeting or some of these others, only there's no uh, visual. You don't see anyone. All you see are their names, and you hear their voices, and you're able to participate that way with people from all over the world. And it's just, I, I can't speak highly enough about it. I just love SNUI. It is the best bargain in town, too. Sharon, there's a lot of listeners who want to um, book a medium reading, or they want to find out uh, do they have any skills as a medium, or they want to just find out more. And I refer people to snui.org all the time because what I've even found is um, there's online services a couple of times a week and at the end of every service or towards the end of every service there's a couple of mediums that uh, will for lack of a better term read the room as to whose loved right. ones are there and I mean I will never forget the first one I was on uh, I had been outside taking walks every day and like a little kid picking dandelions and blowing them and just making wishes. I mean, I'm a 50 year old woman and just being silly. And the medium at the end of the service, uh, gave very clear details about my father and said, he's with me every time I take my walks and I blow my dandelions and make oh. wishes. I'm just getting choked up now, but you know, it's just, it's amazing. And to have that as a support, um, going forward with our spirituality is awesome it is and let me just add um you do not have to be a spiritualist spiritualism is a religion um but you do not have to be a spiritualist spiritualist to join snui you also don't have to be a medium you can join and just sit in on the services or the circles. You don't have to participate and be the recipient because we need recipients too for our um, demonstrations of survival. That's what we call it is a demonstration of survival because that is the core of the religion of spiritualism is that we demonstrate that our spirits, our souls, our consciousness does survive physical death. And that's the foundation of the religion of spiritualism. Mm, thank you so much for that. And it's always a good pick-me-up for me anytime I attend a service, really, to put life in perspective, my life in perspective. Mm -hmm. So thanks. So now let's talk a little bit more about you. Okay. Uh, how do we even begin? Um, there's so much we're going to, I think we're going to talk about as far as genealogy and, and mediumship uh -huh. and things, but... Um, maybe a little bit about you. D did you get involved in genealogy first? How did you get into mediumship? I mean, is that something you were born with? We're always looking for reasons to believe life after death is real. Right. Where does well, it start? I I had absolutely no um, paranormal experiences, shall we say, until my late 50s when my mother passed over. I always have believed in the afterlife, and I think part of that is uh, because I got involved in genealogy very young. I was about 10 when I met my first genealogist in a cemetery, and he um, family friends of ours knew that I was interested in uh, ghosties and ghoulies and things that go bumping mm -hmm. in the 
um, I don't know if you remember the the uh, daytime soap opera Dark Shadows. Yes. Uh, but I was just hooked on that. And and that's actually the show that introduced me to genealogy because on that show they would go back in time and talk about, uh, you know, visit the ancestors or, you know, ancestors played a, a big role in that show. So when I was about 10, we were living in Southern California and we had gone back east to visit family and some friends of ours knew that I was interested in that sort of thing. So they took me to an old cemetery to look at the old headstones and there was a an older gentleman there who was copying down the tombstones what we would call a cemetery project where a genealogist copies down all the tombstones back in the day we published them now we put them online and um, he explained to me about genealogy this was in the days where you could invite a strange man in the cemetery home yes <laughs> today you wouldn't do that no and so my friends invited him back to the house, and he explained what he was doing. He explained about doing family history research. He gave me my first pedigree chart and family group sheet and told me to interview relatives and how to get started. And so from that point on, um, the dead didn't haunt me, but I haunted them. Okay. And, and and so I made a career of it um, in my early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. I'm now 60, so it's been half my life wow. that I've been a professional genealogist. And I've been haunting the dead ever since. And then about two or three years ago, they started talking back to me. And that's when I started investigating mediumship and wondering okay, at this age, at like 57, can I become a medium? Because I always thought, you know, you had to be born with this. And maybe I was, and they were just waiting for the right time. Uh, because there's a lot of, you know, it's kind of like nature versus nurture. You know, it's, uh, are you born a medium or can you become a medium? Right. I think we're all born with the, the ability, whether or not we choose to recognize it or develop it is something else. And I think that spirit gave me, I hear so many stories of other mediums who had childhood experiences and they were either very traumatizing or they felt um, they were unusual because they had these experiences and other people didn't. And I really think spirit gave me a socially acceptable outlet to talk to the dead through genealogy hmm. until I was ready for it and the world was ready for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's such good news because, you know, I think it's just common thought that you're born with it and you know it at early age. And um, even me just turning 50 this year, I thought, you know, who am I to step into this? But it, it can be any age. Absolutely. And I think uh, being a genealogist, I think I have been guided all along, either by my ancestors or my clients' ancestors, uh, without really being aware of it. And in fact, a colleague of mine uh, wrote a book called, well, wrote two books called Psychic Roots. And he published those in, I think it was about the 1990s. And he was also having experiences from his genealogical research, um, having dreams where ancestors would tell him where to look for them. Um, and 
he wondered if other genealogists were also having these experiences. So he sent out a questionnaire to a whole bunch of us. And just the first book, he just got an overwhelming response. And then the second book, he got double the responses from genealogists who would share their stories of being guided by their ancestors. You know, they would go into a library and and either a book would just fall off the shelf and their ancestor would be in it, or they would pull a book off the shelf and just open the book randomly and there's their ancestor on the page. Wow. Or they're scrolling through microfilm and they just happen to stop the microfilm at a particular point and there's their ancestor. I mean, it, the, the two books are just filled with it and they're called Psychic Roots. Okay. And I highly recommend them. They're, okay. They're very entertaining and and really leave no doubt that our ancestors want us to find them, or at least most of our ancestors want us to find them. I love it. And for our listener, if you go to wedontdieradio.com, click on episode 142. That's this episode with Sharon. I've got a link to the Psychic Roots book. Perfect. 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 Yes. And the other one is called More Psychic Roots. More Psychic Roots. Okay. Got it. Okay, continue on. So, um, and I'm in the second book, just in case you awesome. want to know. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> My story's in the second book. Um, so anyway, I really feel that mediumship and genealogy go hand in hand. And I just feel like my whole life as a genealogist has been leading me toward this next level of communicating with ancestors and and people's loved ones. As a professional genealogist, my specialty is writing family histories. And when I write family histories, I don't write just the names, dates, and places. I put ancestors into historical context. My goal is to bring them back to life on the page, but in a non-fiction way. I don't fictionalize anything. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of what is called social history, which is researching the everyday lives of everyday people and put the ancestors into historical context and combining the records that we, the paper trail that we have of the ancestor with the social history and the historical context that gives us such a bigger picture of what our ancestors' lives were like. And I've been doing that, you know, my almost my whole genealogical career. And so telling the dead, telling their stories, keeping them alive, I really feel has been driven by our ancestors who want to be remembered. And I also feel that it's a healing process both for the living and the dead to do genealogy as well as to do mediumship. Wow. The last couple months I have been on Ancestry.com and Wikitree.org and all these different places and have done the DNA test. And I have been fascinated with my ancestry. And it's just, it's perfect for me to hear this conversation as well. Um, one person in particular, my grandfather's mother, we don't know too, too much about. She had a very hard life. And I just feel this, like, need to connect. So I think this is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, if you start asking around, once you get involved in genealogy, if you start asking around, you find that there's usually only one, maybe two people in the family who are really drawn to genealogy. The rest, it's like, oh, they could either care less 
or it's like, okay, I want to hear about it, but I don't want to do the research. But there's always one person who just feels so drawn to this, has such a passion for it, um, and, you know, can spend every waking hour on Ancestry or Family Search or any one of the Mm -hmm. um, sites. and I think it's because our ancestors are there with us, and they want their stories told. And that makes me so happy. Mm-hmm. And it gave me goosebumps, too. <laughs> oh, good. They want their stories told. Okay. Mm-hmm. How, now, how did you step into mediumship? Okay. Well, that came about when my mother uh, crossed over a few years ago, and I started getting what I felt were signs from her. Um the the one sign that um, that really was significant for me was uh, someone a cousin of mine had sent a floral arrangement of lilies for her memorial service, and she um, there was one big lily that had not opened yet, and. I kept the flower, you know, my mother had passed in Colorado, we came home to Utah, I brought the flowers home with me, and I wondered whether that flower would ever open, because I I wasn't really a flower person at that time, so I didn't know whether that bud would open or not. So it was interesting because my mother didn't get cremated right away because the doctor went out of town, and so we had to wait for the doctor to sign the death certificate for her body to be able to be cremated and when so then the cremation cremains had to be shipped to me here in utah that flower did not open until i got the cremains the day i got the cremains that flower opened wow and then oh wait no i'm sorry it was the day I got the word that her body went for cremation that that flower opened. Hmm. And then the day that her cremains arrived, the last petal of that lily fell off. And so, you know, I know skeptics would say, oh, that's just a coincidence or whatever, but right. I don't believe in coincidences. And there were other things like on the anniversary of her passing. Uh, no, I'm sorry, on the um anniversary of what would have been her 80th birthday um i was talking to her and and saying can you give me a sign can you let me know you're here and i had a candle there i said you know can you blow out the candle and i'll tell you if i could have willed it out that candle would have been blown out but nothing happened absolutely nothing happened i thought okay that's it the flower thing you know just a coincidence right I come downstairs to get started making dinner, and I have some artificial flowers that are on top of my um, cabinets, Mm -hmm. and I had my back turned, and those flowers not only fell over, but jumped the refrigerator, which extends quite a ways outside of the cabinet, and went a few feet to fall at my feet, and those flowers have never fallen. It, it was like, why did they fall then when I had asked her for a sign? My jaw so, is to yeah. the ground right now. I know. So it's just amazing. And then she's given me others. She likes to knock things over. I keep saying, why can't you clean the house? <laughs> why do you have to knock things over? <laughs> I'll leave the vacuum cleaner out for you. I know spirits like to work with electricity. You can vacuum. <laughs> You're funny. 
<laughs> but she does. She'll knock things over and let me know that she's here. And it, and it's always when it's not just random. It's always when I've asked her for a sign. Hmm, that's a good and, tip. Ask and for signs. Yeah, and then something in the house will mysteriously that's secure that's never fallen before, like my shower head. <laughs> my shower head fell down, <laughs> and she and it. She that's what she does. Wow. So anyway, so at that point, that's when I thought, okay, can anyone become a medium? Mm -hmm. And so I started studying. I I got your book. I got as many books as I could find on the topic of the afterlife and mediumship and, and became hooked. I searched and searched and searched for a local circle. Being here in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is very heavily LDS, which I want to talk about that in just a moment. Okay. Um, I couldn't find anything. I looked for two years before uh, I found a circle. And how I found a circle is I went to Florida to visit my father and visited the Casadega Spiritualist Camp. Yes. And while I was there, I took some development classes, and one of the instructors told me about Simon James and Brian Robertson, who are tutors at the Arthur Finley College, who were coincidentally, quote-unquote, coming to Utah that September. This was in February. They were coming that September to do a four-day intensive workshop. Wow. And that I found a local circle and now I have my own circle that I run because that one was in Park City, Utah and this one is in Salt Lake City. Could you just mention quickly Sharon what a circle means? Okay a circle is the old-fashioned term we still use it for people who sit for development and they usually sit in a circle that's how it became called a circle and in the Victorian times people would sit when physical mediumship was very prominent that is table tipping um, uh, people would sit around a table and just gently rest their hands on the table so the spirits could table tip and they would work out a code yes or no by how many times the table would tip or knocks on the wall that's considered physical mediumship and so they would sit for development and try to connect with the spirit world at the time there usually was only one medium who was sitting for development at a time nowadays everybody wants to be a medium and so everybody in the circle is usually there to develop their own mediumship. Mm, very good. And even on snui.org, there, I had downloaded one of the courses on mediumship, and it starts right out with the different kinds of mediumship, physical mediumship, uh, evidential mediumship, and what am I missing? There's something else. Well, there's physical and mental mediumship. Mental, right. And there's, there's trance mediumship, That's which what. is also uh, mental mediumship, and there's healing mediumship. Okay. Well, what I loved, even though it's been a while since I've read it, obviously, because I couldn't remember, um, but but look, going through it, it's the history of spiritualism and the different kinds of mediumship. And uh, I was always of the feeling that this is all just new age stuff, you know, and put it out there with these kind of crazy uh-huh. woo-woo people. But to actually right. see a religion based upon it, what the foundation is, who the founding fathers are and, and mothers, and, and it's fascinating. I mean, it really makes me feel grounded that what we're doing is the truth. It's very real. Uh, it's not right. just some new age well, thing. Right. New age actually began in the 1960s, 1970s, where you get a lot more psychics 
than you do mediums. Mm. And here, here's kind of just a, um, uh, a history lesson overview. Okay. okay, so modern spiritualism dates back to 1848 with the Fox sisters. And the Fox sisters were uh, received wraps on the wall in the house that they lived in and were able to work out an alphabet and uh, numbering system with the spirit person doing the wraps. We call this the age of modern spiritualism because people have been communicating with spirits since the dawn of time. However, prior to the Fox sisters, people were communicating with higher realm beings, angels, um, God, you know, higher realm beings. The Fox sisters mark the first time that we had communication from an ordinary person. And evidence that our souls, our consciousness does survive. So that's why that date of 1848 with the Fox sisters is so important. The other thing that's really significant about that is this is the time period where we see the first three American religions are started. All the other religions prior to that have been imported with immigrants coming from Europe, coming from England. But all of a sudden, we had spirit communication that sparked three American religions. The first was Mormonism or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Joseph Smith received spirit communication from an angel who was known as Moroni, and that's how they became known as the Mormons. Wow. And that predated the Fox sisters by about 10 years. And so that's how Mormonism got its start, is through spirit communication, but again, through a higher level being. And then the Fox sisters came along, which sparked a movement called spiritualism that eventually evolved into the religion of spiritualism. And then the third religion is Christian science, Christian scientist, which was Mary Baker, Baker Eddy, and yes. she, she was originally a spiritualist, and she broke off and established her own religion called Christian Scientist. Oh, I had no idea. Yep. So those are the three American-born religions, and they all happened right in that time period, the 1830s, 40s, and 50s. So then, with spiritualism... Then we move into a time period of the Great Wars, World War I especially, and that's when spiritualism really blossomed and grew because we had a lot of people dying in the flu epidemic um, and we had a lot of people dying in the war, in World War I. And so people wanted to reassurance and wanted to hear from their loved ones. So mediumship really blossomed in that age and we see a shift from physical mediumship in the in the 1850s or so to mental mediumship and trance mediumship where the spirit speaks directly through the medium using the medium's voice box and speaks directly through the medium and so we see that shift as we get into the early 20th century then, as the wars are out of the way, 1940s, the end of World War II, we're in recovery, everybody's happy in the 1950s, it wasn't as important to hear from your loved ones on the other side. And so then we start to see in the 1960s with the hippies and the sexual revolution and the, the different um, 
Uh, during that time, we also had a lot of rioting. We had the civil rights movement. We had the women's movement start to gain hold in the 60s and 70s. And my theory is the reason psychics took off, the New Age movement took off during that time period, is because people were less stable in their everyday lives. They weren't as concerned about the afterlife. They were more concerned about what is my life going, what's going to happen today. Hmm. And the more unstable society is, the more I believe psychics are, are needed because people want to know about their unstable lives. And even today, where it's very unsettled in America right now, I imagine psychics are getting a lot more calls than mediums are. Yeah, I think all over the world, yeah. probably. Yeah. yeah, because people need that reassurance that everything is going to be okay. Sure. Sharon, you've done a lot of work in the last few years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. And then now learning mediumship, you got into your circle. Um, and from there you started. Well, actually before the circle, while I was looking for the circle, um, because I didn't have anyone to practice on, uh, through genealogy, I have friends all over the country. So I sent emails to a couple of friends and said, and told them what I was doing. These are friends that I knew would be open to Mm -hmm. what I was doing. Um, and I said, I need people to practice on. I, I'm not going to charge for it. I want to do it over the telephone, uh, mainly because here in Salt Lake City, uh, I wasn't sure how well it would be received anyway. Yes. But um, So I did 100 free telephone readings as my own spirit internship. Wow. And so, yeah, and, you know, word caught on because you have the word free in there and everybody starts calling you. So I did 100 free phone readings as that was my practice. And then by then I had found the circle to join. And so was practicing because I had set the goal of 100 readings before I would start charging and then found the circle and started attending classes and then found SNUI. Wow. Do you have a story you can remember back, maybe one of the early readings that you did that these thoughts were coming to you and someone validated and you just went, wow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there tell. was one. Yes, there was one. And again, this was early on. And, I, I, oh, it took me probably, oh my gosh, a, a half hour just to bring through one spirit link. I was terribly slow back then because I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just spirit and self-taught. And um, so I'm chatting with this lady and giving her information about her father and everything else. And I said, all of a sudden, I heard the word socket, S-O-C-K-E-T. And I told her that because I had read enough to know you give everything you get, no matter how bizarre it, it feels to you. And so I said, I just heard the word socket. I said, does that make any sense to you? And oh, my God, she laughed and then started crying. And I thought, how on earth can that word cause an emotional reaction? Well, what had happened is her her father was uh, an Italian immigrant, and he was an electrician. And he sent her as a little girl to the hardware store to get socket breakers, not knowing that the correct term was circuit breakers. And she went to the hardware store and asked for socket breakers, and they made fun of her. Oh. 
and she came home and told her father about that and um, and it became the running joke in the family about the socket breakers <laughs> and so that was validation I mean where would I get that word from <laughs> exactly <laughs> and so that was validation for her that it was indeed her father Wow oh awesome and I and I, I'm sure you have a thousand stories similar I just because you continue to be a medium along mm -hmm. with everything else you're up to right you get yes you still do phone readings now for pay and um, yep. you work with people yes I I am still a professional genealogist and I I do I also teach genealogy and family history online through Salt Lake Community College awesome and I um, and I also do my mediumship. So I'm I'm kind of uh, um, spirit uses mediums based on I believe based on their talents and abilities. And I've been not only a professional genealogist for 30 years, but also a public speaker. And I feel really drawn to do platform mediumship. Um, I haven't really had the opportunity yet to do that here in Salt Lake City. And let me just take a little sidebar here why I keep mentioning Salt Lake City. Um, I don't know if a lot of your listeners realize, but Salt Lake City is heavily dominated by LDS members, the Church yes. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is the Mormon area. We moved here, my husband and I moved here specifically for our work as genealogists because the church owns and operates what is called the Family History Library, which is the largest genealogical repository in the world. Yes, that's right. Yes. Before they started digitizing records, they had over two and a half million rolls of microfilm of millions more records from all over the world. So we moved here about eight years ago. We were in Colorado and moved here for because we were spending so much time here anyway for our clients that we decided to move here. So, um, um, so there's a heavy, dense Mormon population yes. here. Which is great because they're lovely people and they open the library to everyone. There is no charge to use the library. They're digitizing these records and putting them online on familysearch.org. No charge, unlike Ancestry where you have to pay a subscription fee. On familysearch.org, there's no charge to use their records. Um, and so it, it's a it's a wonderful thing for all genealogists. Yes. Um, but in the Mormon faith, although they do believe in talking with their ancestors and they do believe in documenting and tracing their ancestry, um, for them it's more of a one-way communication. You know, it's only the higher level up in the church that receive uh, communication from the spirit world, from the higher realms. Uh, average people, you can talk to your ancestors, but you're not supposed to actually be receiving communication back, although mm. there are some who do. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see where uh, currently you don't have big platform readings all over the right. city due to that. Right. And it's interesting, too, because also looking at the history of Mormonism and spiritualism, they almost merged in the late 1890s here in Salt Lake City. There was a movement to merge the two religions. But the problem was the Mormon leaders felt that if everyday people are receiving spirit communication and that spirit communication um, 
is different than what the leaders are receiving, then you're not going to have a cohesive religion. Uh, you would have mediums, you know, you would have members saying, well, my spirit person told me this and you're telling me that, you know, there wouldn't be a cohesive thing. And so um, that's why they did not merge. Mm, yeah, I get it. Religion's a tricky thing because, um, you know, I, I find I grew up Catholic, but on my search, it's like I I have to come to grips with my own what my own truths are. Right. You know, so I, I don't. Yeah, I grew up Catholic, too. And as you know, in Catholicism, you know, it's okay to talk to God, it's okay to talk to Jesus, it's okay to talk to the saints, but heaven forbid, you do not talk to grandma. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I kind of think of my, this radio show, I don't want to say it's my church, but it's my community, it's other like-minded people right. that, and everything we talk about on this show, Sharon, some of it sounds kind of strange, you know, so yeah. I, I always, you know, I'm free, but we're here to empower people, take what works and use it, what sounds mm -hmm. a little strange, oh, toss mm -hmm. out the window. Absolutely. Anyways, where should we go to next, talking about... Um, genealogy and ancestry and I mean there's a lot of uh, I know you, we had uh, emailed a little bit before mm -hmm. uh, this interview about healing healing our wounds both present day and ancestral wounds can you right. talk a little about that yeah I really think again in telling our ancestors stories you know if we subscribe to the belief that on the other side we have a life review and there is really no one there to judge us except ourselves and we want to make up for the things that we did during our life here on earth um, any pain we may have caused um, any disharmony we may have created um, I think telling ancestors stories and those ancestors who guide us to do that I really think that's healing for them. And I also believe that by putting an ancestor story into historical perspective, it does that. Let me give you an example. It was very, very common during the Great Depression of 1929 and 1930 for a lot of men to commit suicide. Wow. They had lost everything. They didn't know how they were going to support their families. They they just hit rock bottoms. So suicide rates were very high during the Great Depression. Okay, that was a stigma that back then. But when you and that may be a family skeleton for a lot of families. Sure. But when you put it into the historical context of the Great Depression, and that this was common, all of a sudden the stigma goes away. Because now we understand why someone took their own life, because we understand that this was common, that this was part of history, um, that this was something. We understand our ancestors' motivations and behaviors by studying the lives of everyday people in an everyday society, the social history. Another thing that's often a stigma is abortion. And if we look back in history and realize our women ancestors did not have a reliable means of birth control. Instead, they would take herbal remedies or poisons, what we call abortifacients, to terminate a pregnancy because they may have had too many mouths to feed. Mm -hmm. they, did, they had a fear of childbirth. Uh, they were worn out from having eight or nine or ten babies. Um, this was not a stigma then. It was common practice. Uh, 
So if we look at it in historical perspective, we realize that what we are judging from our morals, from our point of view, was not that back then. And so we can understand people so much better if we understand the social history around them, their lives around them. And I feel that heals not only the ancestor to be understood, but it also heals the present generation to realize my ancestor wasn't the awful person I thought she was because she had an abortion. Yeah. Oh, can I share something in my own? Yeah, genealogy yeah, I found. Um, my great grandmother, um, I've heard stories that she had died in a mental institution uh-huh. and didn't know much about her. She never married my great grandfather. Uh, the kids got her last name. Uh, her last name was Champlain, and somehow her children all changed it to Champlain, created mm-hmm. a story that, um, we were French and the parents died in a train wreck, you know, none of it the truth. And then I start digging. And so this poor woman died in this mental institution. And I had a second cousin who had had been tracing the genealogy and actually got the medical records from this mental institution. And it's just horrific what they were doing to people. They would put them in a bathtub. uh, I don't know what they called it, water therapy or something, but they'd like live in a bathtub and, uh, and all, all the different really awful treatments they did back in the day. Well, come to find out, like present day, she would be bipolar, right? Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. and that's very normal these days and treatable and things like that. So to take off the stigma of her being, you know, this crazy woman, I cannot even tell you the compassion and the love that I have for this woman that now tapping into uh, this conversation that there, there's something and maybe it is her coming uh, to me um, and and wanting to share this story or, you know, but there's a love that has developed and an interest yep. in this human being who must have had life so difficult uh, and then to live many, many, many years and die in this institution. Um, and there's something very healing to me. And if what you're saying is true, I can get it. There's something very healing for her too, that somebody gets her, some, you know, and that I have the power now to be able to share this with my family. Absolutely. And that would have been a stigma back then to have a relative in a mental institution that wasn't talked about. Um, and that it was horrific, the treatments. I, I actually wrote an article about a woman I had found who was in a mental institution who suffered from manic depression, I believe now, um, based on, you know, what our 21st century diagnosis would be. Um, but, you know, cold water baths, yes. electric, electric shock, shock therapy, yeah, therapy. Being put under before nowadays they put you under before they do that. Um, you know it's just absolutely horrific what these people endured. Um, and so yeah, and in fact a lot of people in mental institutions. Well, I, I don't want to say a lot, but there were many people in mental institutions, especially women, who were perfectly sane. And what happened was if their husband wanted to gain control of their property. If their husband wanted to marry someone else and divorce wasn't an option, they would commit their wives. One woman was committed because she spoke out against her minister. 
And so there were a lot of, uh, there were women who were committed to mental institutions who were perfectly sane, but were just outspoken, or their husbands had other plans and wanted to gain control of property. And if you weren't insane when you went in, you were insane when you came out. It was horrible. And in fact, it's terrible. Uh, terrible. Uh, Nellie Bly, who was an investigative reporter in the late 1800s, uh, wrote, uh, went undercover in a mental institution to reveal what the conditions were like and wrote a book about it. And uh, it's just, um, it's just horrifying. And so exactly what you're saying, Sandra, is you, you cannot help but feel compassion for these people and, and, and feel so much love and, and so much sorrow for all they had to suffer. It's, it's really incredible. We think of the past as having an easier uh, lifestyle. Well, to some degree they did, but to, in other degrees they did not. Mm. I know what it feels like now present day if I have a problem and somebody really understands me I mean exactly and to think about making that connection uh, through the veil from beyond and to to have somebody get you and understand Mm -hmm. so very healing now how can that be healing for us on this end well, as I was saying, I think it's healing for us on this end because families may have carried this family skeleton, this black sheep in the family, not talking about the person wiping them from the family history. That happened with my one of my great aunts. She ended up committing suicide by stabbing herself in the abdomen with a butcher knife and setting her hair on fire. Oh, she no. was never talked about. And... What what caused all this is she had been riding on the trolley downtown. She was a large woman, and she got on the trolley and hadn't grabbed hold of the strap yet, and the trolley lunged forward, and she fell backward and hit the back of her head, and she was never right after that. And it wasn't long after that that she took her life. And because of the way she took her life, it was not talked about. It was not talked about. It was swept under the rug. This poor woman had no validation after she died. And which one of us wants to die and think we won't be remembered? Right. I'm, and she was swept under the rug. I mean, it just tears at my heart for this poor woman. And she left a six-year-old son. And, you know, and I ended up tracing him to find out what happened to him, who took him in and everything else. It's just a family tragedy that because it was a stigma, Nobody wants to acknowledge her. And so I feel that once a genealogist can understand, if I had not found the newspaper article, I wouldn't have understood why she committed suicide um, and could tell her story and to make it so that she's not forgotten, to make her life uh, have meaning um, and her son's life have meaning. um, It heals the family to know that, there were circumstances, regardless whether it was hitting your head or being um, uh, manic or bipolar or anything else, that weren't understood then but are understood now. And I think that's very healing for people today. And to know that our ancestors struggled so much and and 
I don't know about you, Sandra, but there are certain ancestors that I just feel a, an especial kinship with. Mm -hmm. I'm just drawn to them. And I think it's because those ancestors want us to tell their stories and to be remembered. Yeah. You know, I, I've got this visual in my mind, whoever's putting it in there, but um, I, I've been using Ancestry.com and they have, anybody can picture a family tree. And so often in life, I feel alone. Um, I don't have a very big family. I do have friends um, close to my mom and my aunt and um, uh, my sister, but it's not like a huge family. And when I do the genealogy so my visual is seeing all these people and mm -hmm. then realizing that they're still around yeah. and I want to just read a sentence that I had read from a book yesterday um, it's from one of the silver birch books and it says let's see spirit is one and spirit is the god which is within all forms of being i only wish that the veil could be lifted from your eyes and you could see the radiant beings who cooperate with you every difficulty is a challenge which you must meet and overcome thus proving that the power of the spirit is stronger than the power of matter and yep. when i read that about the veil and putting that together with the visual of my family tree it's very healing for me to get that, you know, I'm on a path. I'm not alone. Could be invisible. Doesn't mean that that uh, bond is any uh, less real. Absolutely. And I'll give you another reason why it's important to research your family history. When you start researching your family history, more and more of those ancestors will come through in readings. I've had great grandparents come through that I've never met. I've had great aunts and uncles come through that I've never met. I've had grandparents who passed before I was born come through. And I'm able to identify them not only because I did the genealogical research, but I've done oral history interviews with my family, the older generation who uh, might have remembered these people, and gathered their stories and photographs. And so I can identify them when they come through. Um, and it's, it's kind of frustrating for me as a medium when I bring through, through somebody and the person will dismiss it by saying, oh, I didn't know them. And it's like, but surely you heard family stories about them. You've got a photograph or something. Yes. Because they're not thinking like a family historian or a genealogist would. Um, and by doing that, I've just heard from, I've heard from so many of them on the other side. It's just, it, it just touches my heart to know that they're, they're there. Uh, they're aware of me. They're aware of what I'm doing uh, to preserve their stories. It's just very heartwarming. Wow. And now you've written many, many, many books. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about your books? Well, I have a combination. Um, like I said, I write family histories for clients, and I've written my own family histories. Mm -hmm. So uh, those probably aren't very interesting to people who aren't family members. But I, I have also written a lot of guidebooks. I have written the book, You Can Write Your Family History which is available on Amazon, and that's about writing a family history book and putting the family into historical context, as I've been talking about. Uh, my newest book is called Tell It Short. Uh, what's the subtitle? Hang on, hang on, let me get a copy. Ah. You're funny. I, I, I don't remember. It's what happens when you write a lot of books. Yeah. And, I don't, and I don't have the book right here, but it's about writing your family history as essays. But it's called Tell It Short. Also on uh, Amazon? Uh, no, that one is not. 
that's not on Amazon yet. I've self-published that. You can go to scatteredleavespress.com. Scattered Leaves. And for anybody listening, just like I said before, go to wedontdieradio.com, episode 142, and it'll be easy for you to click on this link. Right. Scattered Scattered Leaves. Scatteredleaves.com. Or you can go to SharonCarmack.com, and and there's a tab for Scattered Leaves. Oh, that's easy. Okay. That's probably easier. Go to SharonCarmack.com. And uh, so Tell It Short is a guide to writing your family history in brief. There we go. And it's um, about writing family history as short little essays. Rather than writing a whole book, which is overwhelming and intimidating for a lot of people, it's how to write your family history as short essays. And I am I'm, I'm an advocate for writing only nonfiction about your family history, not turning it into a novel or fiction, uh, because there's so much out there. Why fictionalize it? There's uh, there's so many resources to tell a nonfiction story, the real story of your ancestors. You don't have to fictionalize it. Mm. Hey, maybe you'll know an answer to this just because I'm on okay. ancestry and everything I can find. Are there things available going through? Um, the Salt Lake City um, FamilySearch.org, like newspaper articles and things like that that I wouldn't normally find pop up on Ancestry.com. Yes, uh, okay. the the two new. There are a lot of newspaper databases. The two I subscribe to and use um, that I find are uh, pretty big are GenealogyBank.com and Newspapers.com. And those are both subscription websites. And I and the Library of Congress also has a newspaper database. Uh, the New York Times archive is free to search, but some of those articles you may have to pay for. However, you can uh, pay as you go uh, to get the articles. I forget how much they are. They're a few dollars. Um, if you go to FamilySearch.org and look for a family search center near you because there are thousands of them across the world um, you can use the family search center and access ancestry and other uh, paid subscription websites for free through the family search center i love it i love yes. it yeah, like the London Times. Now, I don't know if the I know the London Times here in Salt Lake City at the Family History Library, we have access to the London Times to, you know, a whole bunch of database ancestry, fold 3, um, some of the big databases we have access to for free. Uh, you can't access it through your home computer unless you're LDS. Um, but if you're not, you can go into the Family History Library here in Salt Lake City and access all those databases for free. Wow. And some of them are available at family search centers. And like I said, That's there are enough. thousands of them. Have you done your DNA spit test? No, I have not. Oh, interesting. Uh, I just found for myself uh, what what it does is it links you to right. other people and man I've got fourth fifth sixth cousins it just it's just exciting to me this, it this is. world let me tell you why I have not done it I have not done it first of all uh, because I've written my family history mm-hmm. I 
had a fourth cousin contact me finding my book. So they find me. Awesome. <laughs> that way. But the reason I have not done it is, believe it or not, those tests are still in their infancy. Oh. And so if you have it done today, I would have it done again in a couple of years because okay. as the database grows, as more people do it and it grows, you're going to find yourself connected with more and more people. And for the tests that we call deep ancestry that tell you the percentage of, you know, your this percentage Native American and this percentage African or whatever, uh-huh. again, those are still in their infancy because the databases are still not that big. Mm. So the results you have today may be different from the results you have in two or three years. Oh, very cool. Well, I'm excited. So we got a little yeah. bit, of, well, we're still on topic, but off topic, yeah. but it's, it's all the same. It's all the same. We have just a few minutes left. What haven't I asked you that I should, or is there any inform- other information you want to share, get out, uh, tie into this interview? Uh, I don't want to miss yeah. anything with you because you're very valuable. Oh, thank you. Um, Well, I would like to talk about finding this fourth cousin or this fourth cousin who found me. Um, You know, a lot of us who develop our mediumship ability late in life wonder if someone in the family also had abilities. And it was never talked about in my family. I didn't know anyone who had any kind of psychic or mediumistic abilities. So I thought I was a lone wolf. Um, And then this fourth cousin, or she turned out to be a fourth cousin, I didn't know it at the time, but she bought my book, we're uh, both uh, DeBartolos, and um, she bought my book, and she was going to make a a visit to our hometown in Italy, Cirlizzi, and so I was sharing with her, I'd been there, I was sharing with her what to see and who to talk to and everything else, and after she came back, she wrote an essay about her trip and all the interesting signs she was receiving um, from her um, from what she believed was her her grandmother and she was receiving all these signs and I thought wait a minute so I emailed her and I said are you a medium are you are you a developed meeting or developing or whatever I said because it sounds like we're on the same path. Normal people don't write about this kind of thing. Right. And sure enough, we were on parallel paths. We've never met. We've only conversed by phone and email. Um, but we've both been on the same path at the same time. Um, and her grandmother had abilities and, and, and helped coach my cousin Beth uh, through her abilities and she's really just developing them now and since recognizing my abilities I've discovered that I have cousins on my mother's side who also have abilities but prior to this no one ever talked about it so I didn't know but apparently I have it on both sides of my family oh that's awesome and I would have never found that out except through genealogy. And I know all my cousins. I mean, I literally know all my first cousins and, and some of my cousins beyond that. Um, and, you know, that's what genealogy does. Like you said with the DNA tests and people getting in touch with you, it just opened. It, you, it's the floodgates open to all your family well, and relatives. I, I think, you know, one of the reasons I invited everyone to come to this conference in September is 
we want to find like-minded people that are into this. You know, when I, my beginning days of searching about life after death, I was so afraid people would think I was a weirdo. So I kept my mouth shut. And through even searching genealogy now, what you're saying is you get like-minded people within your own family, you know, that are, Mm -hmm. these people are related to you and that they're interested. And, um, Gosh, I know family doesn't have to be connected by blood. Uh, you can have some great friends and things, but to find Absolutely. some of these distant people that are family it really enriches our lives. It truly does. And it makes us realize that our world is really small without all those people. And once we realize that, you know, Beth and I, as fourth cousins, were probably just as close as if we were first cousins. Oh, we developed it. a very fast friendship. Um, we have the connection with family. Um, you know, it, within a couple of years, I mean, we were very fast friends because not only of our genealogical connection, but because of our mediumistic connection. And, and it does, it just broadens the world. Uh, to know you have family everywhere, um, whether it's fourth cousins or first cousins or 25th cousins, they're, they're everywhere. Yeah, and even there's ones that you can't even see. They're invisible That's to you, right. but they're right That's by right. your side. Oh, Sharon, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Well, they can go through my website, SharonCarmack.com, or my medium website, PathwaysUp.com. Oh, any closing words or advice to the listener? Well, I I would just say if you haven't researched your family history, um, you should. (laughs) Of course, uh, it's not for everyone. Like I said, there seem to be people who are drawn to it more than other people, but it's addictive. So I will warn you that. And as I said before, once you start to get to know all these other ancestors, uh, the great-grandparents, the greats-aunts and uncles, don't be surprised if you're sitting in a circle or you have a reading and they start coming through, too, just to say hello. Wow, love it. And as a reminder, people can go to snui.org and for $24 a year U.S., 21 pounds a year uh, international, it's the best bargain on earth to learn about mediumship, uh, practice being a medium, attend services, be empowered for your life, uh, and, and even you can book medium readings right then and there with spiritualist ministers, or ministers, uh, what am I trying to say? Mediums, yes. yes some, of them may be, some of them may be ministers too. To book um, readings with those people, you, I believe you have to go to the SNU website now. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's snu.org, I believe. Okay. Um, so I believe you have to go to the parent website, but there are links to it on the SNUI site, um, and you can book readings with. And the the disadvantage of doing that is you don't know who you're going to get doing your reading. Um, it's who's ever available at the time. So if you're hoping to book with a specific medium, then you need to Google and look for their website. Right, right. Well, Sharon... Thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, well, thank you, Sandra. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm 
super excited as if this episode was just for me. And I'm sure other people feel that way as well. And uh, for our listener, thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, our home base is wedontdieradio.com that you can get all the links from this episode and check out who else has been on the show. And I want to remind everyone to go check out um, pathwaysup.com, Sharon's website, or sharoncarmack.com. And Come visit me September 15th through 17th. I'll be at the big conference out in Scottsdale, Arizona. And remember to go to afterlifestudies.org to find out more and register. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I've been your host for this past hour. I do believe with all my heart that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So take a little time and research your ancestry and believe it or not, you have a whole team of ancestors right behind you that are ready to get to know you. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.